It's February 27, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for the Brooklyn Public Library Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today in Greenpoint, Brooklyn on Huron Street with Laura Trichiosis. Tressy Ocus, Christine Hollowatch, Peter Washburn, and Laura Trutner. And so here tonight we're here to discuss the Greenpoint Community Environmental Fund. So could somebody explain to me what is the Greenpoint Community Environmental Fund and where did it come from? In 2010, the Attorney General's Office uh, reached a settlement with ExxonMobil over its Greenpoint oil spill. And that resulted in a commitment from ExxonMobil to provide $19.5 million to create an environmental benefit project to enhance uh, Greenpoint's environment. And from that money, G7 was created. All right, and so what year did the Greenpoint Community Environmental Fund come about? Well, the money was available in 2010. Uh, GSEF actually came into existence uh, in 2011. And who was working on it and organized it? Um, one of the one of the first things that we we did was uh, create a um, essentially a community advisory group, uh, which became known as the community advisory panel (CAP) for short, and. Christine was one of our charter members of that organization. And the reason that we created that was because we felt with this money, which was um, provided as a result of a pretty horrific environmental uh, impact in Greenpoint, that it was critical that the community had a leadership role in deciding how that 19.5 million dollar settlement money was spent. And so that's why we created the CAP, and that's why um, we populated it with people like Christine, who um, were well recognized in the community, who had uh, been involved in environmental issues in Greenpoint for years. And how did you go about with the first group of projects that were chosen? Oh, well, there's a whole lot of history before. There was. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe Christine can talk that, but, but also Laura uh, Trutner can speak to that too, because in addition to creating the CAP, we really wanted to have the Attorney General's Office and the Department of the State Department of Environmental Conservation, who were jointly responsible for this program. Uh, we needed some, uh, uh, somebody could help counsel us as to how to work best with the community. We had the capital, we also needed somebody else. And you know, one of the smart things that we did was hire uh, Laura at the beginning to help us sort of develop this program in, again, a way that provided a leadership role for the community. And so you know, Laura can talk about sort of the early, and Christine can talk about sort of the early stages of developing, you know, the model of public uh, community inclusion, of uh, inviting the community to make decisions about how the program would be developed and how it would be implemented. 
So we, EnviroSciences Engineering was hired pretty early on, actually even before the CAP was formally established, because we'd been working um, in Greenpoint at the Newtown Creek treatment plant with the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee. And so knew a lot of people in Greenpoint and knew a lot, not a lot, but we knew people in Greenpoint. We also understood the environmental issues and we understood something about, Greenpoint's a really unusual community. It, it had a very vocal and actively involved group of citizens that I haven't seen in that many other boroughs in, uh, in New York City. And so we started working with the Attorney General's office and, the, and they had, there was a, we had some framework that had been created by the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding between Exxon and the settlement, settlement. sorry, uh, between Exxon and the Attorney General's office. There was sort of a loose framework for how this environmental um, benefit project would work. Um, and, and one of the key things, as Peter said, was to, to put together a CAP, a, a community advisory panel. There had been a prior EBP in which there had been sort of a loose collection of community organizations um, that had come together to, to work on it. We started with that group and then expanded from there. Um, this was a much larger this EBP was a much larger one than the prior one, um, and the Attorney General's office took a very strong stance on the amount of community participation. So we wanted to expand the cap from the beginning. And then the cap started really from square one, developing a process by which um, a general administrator would be hired by uh, developing criteria for projects, soliciting feedback from the, in the community as a whole. And one of the things that was innovative about what the Attorney General's office did was to, after the first CAP meeting, when uh, some issues were raised about the model or the framework and the, the settlement agreement, we really started all over again. And that, I mean, it was a, and, and we came up with a process that that allowed the greatest number of projects to come in in the in the beginning that met the environmental benefit criteria but it the, we worked really hard not to exclude any preliminary ideas um, one of the things we wanted to do was make sure that that we facilitated promoted projects coming through the community from the community we didn't want you know, all the money to be sucked up by big organizations and we didn't want to advantage organizations that were good at writing um, grant proposals we wanted to do a considerable amount of support to like good ideas that were coming from the community so we spent a lot of time um, engaging both the CAP and the community at large in sort of thinking creatively about if you had $19.5 million, what would you like to do? And what kind of projects would you like to see benefit Greenpoint? And you know, the, the way to do that in our minds the right way is to uh, empower members of the community with those ideas to develop those ideas into projects. And so we spent a lot of time uh, reaching out to the community, providing resources to the community so that we could have 
small projects, good small ideas, be competitive in a competitive grant program. Because if you don't do that, you know, you get the big organizations that always get the money, and they're going to get the money again. And we didn't want to do that in Greenpoint. We wanted to make sure that the community's ideas, what the community wanted, was facilitated through the process. And that's, you know, that's what uh, was just speaking of. So, I mean, that's how we began. And, um, I mean, I don't know what else can I add to I would like to tell a story, which is that... We were, uh, I was with the Attorney General's office before <coughs> the ink was dry on the agreement with ExxonMobil that created the $19.5 million. And this actually, this story goes to Laura's point about the uniqueness of Greenpoint. Uh, we had a meeting in the Attorney General's office where we, we, we brought some of the community members to our office and we wanted to talk to them about the agreement that we reached with ExxonMobil because the community had been waiting a long time for resolution. And they had a lot of expectations. And so we wanted to talk to them about the elements of the settlement, you know, including the responsibility of ExxonMobil to do the cleanup, um, including the $19.5 million plus, I think it was $5.5 million of additional money that would go to other benefits in the, in the community and area. We wanted to, so before we signed it, we wanted to have some of the people who represented the community, who understood the community, hear what we were, we were about to sign. And Christine was there. And I remember, you know, she was, she was tough as nails. And it was pretty clear that, you know, the community had really high expectations for this money. And that's sort of that, that the story um, is what, or that interaction with Christine and that group that day really drove this whole process in, in, a, in a significant way because it was clear that this community really wanted this money and they really wanted this money to benefit the community in the right way. And you know, Christine was very clear about that at this meeting and it was, you know, it really, really shaped you know, what we ultimately did in Greenpoint. And it's just because Christine put the fear of God in us. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I did do is I, I requested that the money would be, you know, divided for the community. It would, and I always talked of a legacy project and other small project. That was my thing. I mean, that was my dream was the legacy project. Something that would... <laughs> Something that everybody could look at and say, hey, this has been built or done because of uh, what happened to this community environmentally. I mean, uh, there was a lot of people that, are, that have gotten sick or whatever because of ExxonMobil. I mean, our soil is still there. It's going to take another 20, 30 years before all of that gets cleaned up. So when we're talking about this, in 2010, you can imagine my feelings, right? It, it just, it was right there. Then there were private lawsuits going on. This was all of this stuff going on and everybody were at the end, on the edge. And we had um, another environmental benefit from the sewer treatment plant uh, that was $10 million. And that was really mismanaged horrifically and it's still on the table actually, not really finished or completed. So I was 
I said, you're not going to do the same thing you've, you've done. And, and that's it's the truth. <laughs> well, it left a really bad taste in everyone's Yes, yeah. it's true. Yeah. And, you know, the, you can't even figure out which project we're done from that money. Where there was, that money there is, no there is no accountability. There is no accountability. Now we're hearing that one of the non-for-profits have no given outreach. money to, to some other non-for-profit to be divided. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, it is criminal in my mind. So, but so we didn't want to repeat. Exactly right. <laughs> we made clear that there and was an expectation from this community that they didn't want that repeated. Right. And so you know, we had the resources. We had the, you know, we, we tried to create a process, uh, a framework where you know we would not repeat those mistakes and make sure at the end of the day, you know, this large amount of money was spent and the community would feel good about. But the other thing is that I would like to thank you in particular, Peter, because you know, no matter how strong my words were or whatever, the, the Attorney General's office, and then you carried that through. I mean, you really did a great job on, on making sure that this is happening. You could, we could have another person from the Attorney General who couldn't care about this that much. So, so what is she saying, right? I don't care. You know, we're going to go in, whatever. She can yell and scream all she wants. But you've been really very receptive to the idea, and you really wanted to see it through. And I think I always say that you, you really deserve a lot of uh, credit for all of these projects that we are doing. Laura spent enormous amount of hours we were sitting and doing, and you know, because developing a program from nothing, it's not an easy thing. And making sure that every organization is taken care of, that you, and even at the table when we were sitting, you know, I was always thinking, did I get everybody in, you know, at this table, do we have? Then we ask people, people just said, okay, maybe this, maybe this, it's it just, we wanted to be very inclusive. That was one of the things. And, and it really worked because we had many people that were willing to work and, and help. And, and I really think that your office did a tremendous job. And it's still doing because it's not over. I mean, um, Peter has been coming to Greenpoint for the last seven years? Since yeah. 2012? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he's been to every year. 2011. Yeah. It's report. So it's been, and you know, we had the first granting, and, and, and even developing the fact, how are we going to show the community the projects? How are we going to vote on it? Uh, how the votes are going to be counted? All of that was really, it how took a lot we, of time because we, everybody had different opinions, right? right? How we were going to pick the general administrator who yeah. right? actually helps. Oh, yeah, we should fill in some of the history, right? So we formed a cap, right? You were initial cap. And I got right? pulled into the cap. I, yeah. I had done some community work before when I, when I first moved here. I was involved with uh, OSA's community committee. Oh, I got that line. off the ground. Oh, OSA's Space Alliance community committee. I got that off the ground. And I had been pulled in by my neighbor, Trina McKeever, to head up a group called Friends of Bushwick Inlet Park, which at the time was a park that didn't exist. It was just a dream. And then I got pregnant and you know thought, okay, I'm not going to do this community stuff anymore for a while. I <laughs> went off and I had a baby. <laughs> and then it was like summertime of 2011. And then in November, I think I get a, I get a call from Christine saying, hey, there's this group that's going to meet. It's called a community advisory panel. You'll love it. <laughs> We're going to meet at the Newtown Creek monitoring plant. <laughs> and, you know, there'll be food, hopefully. And have a great time yeah 
Anyways, we, we did have a great time. We did right? have a great time. Oh right, the first thing we had to do was, I mean, we don't, the state, the, the Department of Environmental Conservation Attorney General's Office, don't, don't administer these kinds of programs. We don't run the, the grant competitions. We don't monitor the projects that are selected to uh, the conclusion. So, you know, we had to hire um, an organization um, to oversee that, and that was the sort of first, um, right. first Big decision. decision that we had to work with the CAP to decide. Because, you know, it's very important with them, and that the success of the program in a lot of ways depends on, you know, who is representing the state and administering this, and it's got to be the right, right, uh, right group, and I, you know, I think spent a lot of time and effort in figuring out, you know, um, what that organization should look like and what sort of characteristics it should have. And again, because it had to work with the community and do these things in the right way. And that was the sort of first order of business for the camp. Can I ask, was there any precedent in the other <coughs> project that you modeled this off of? Was there any other thing like that? It was right. modeled, but to some extent, it was modeled in reaction to that other project that we were it talking tried to about. Be everything yeah. that wasn't. Right. right. We, we, learned, we did try to learn some lessons from what hadn't worked in that and right. do things differently. Mm -hmm. in, in this, because uh, they had no group. They, they didn't really have, there were just people out there. They right. had one meeting and that was the end. And, and people came in and said things that were ridiculous and no ridiculous. That was the end of it, and then. And actually, I think I remember doing a little bit of research about environmental benefit projects, and this was a particularly large amount yeah, of money. Right. Most of them are the smaller. Times was the uh, largest yeah. um, uh, environmental benefit program the state had. Right, uh, and and by the they were generally like a million to. Two or three million dollars. So managing them was a completely different kind of and the process. expectation you have that kind of money. Right, the community it's completely like this different. So engaged, you know, the expectation is so much greater when you're talking about nineteen point five million dollars because you misuse that fund. Like um, it's a big, bigger deal. So one of the examples of really listening to the community was that <clears throat> one of the GA applicants that wound up coming in was a partnership between a local organization. And a, and a national organization with a track record for managing large funds. Um, and they're the ones that actually wound up being the general administrator that won the... Well, the cap felt, felt very strongly that... Uh, scored the highest in the market. That the administrator needed to sort of know the community. And you didn't want some organization. I mean, the, the partnership is between <coughs> the Oklahoma Development Corporation and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And uh, NIFWF is um, is a is out of Washington D.C. and they are a you know huge national uh, grant organization. They know how to manage these things. They're probably the top um, organization in the business. They managing uh, the uh, environmental monies that came out of the BP oil spill, for example. And they're you know they're probably the top notch, but you know they don't know this community. And there was a lot of concern within the CAP that an organization like that, that didn't really understand the community, didn't understand how to work with local organizations, just wouldn't be the right fit. So, you know, in the application or the or the uh, 
request for proposals that we put out for the administrator, um, the CAP was, was um, very strong on saying we needed to emphasize the need for this administrator to have experience and knowledge about this community. And that's where this partnership of the North Brooklyn Development Corp and NIFWA came together. And I think it's worked very, very well. One of the things that, this is just a small side, but one of the things I remember NIFWIF came in and said to us was, you know, um, we should really emphasize um, this thing called matching funds. And we were all like, matching funds? <laughs> it's like the best thing we'd ever heard of. <laughs> so you, you use your money to grow more money. And it was such a like, wow, what a fabulous idea. Thanks for coming, NIFWIF. <laughs> and it, it turned out to be amazing. Amazing. We have we tripled our funds. How, and how did you do that? I, I mean, because I was looking at the numbers. Want to explain matching funds? We're talking about fifty million in matching yeah. funds. Sixty-three, aren't we up to sixty-three million? Yeah, something like that. I don't know exactly what the figure is as of today, but no, you just you make it a requirement of of project. Say, so listen, to be selected, to be funded, you have to come in with a certain amount of matching funds. And we, you know, we did this with the big grants. We didn't do it with the smaller grants. Those grants, I was mentioning early where we earlier where we wanted the sort of smaller projects to come from local groups within the community. We didn't require for that because you know they don't have the same ability. But if you're a big organization and you know you know how to write grant applications and you know people in the business, you should be able to come in the door with matching funds. And so for those big grants we said yes, you know, to, to be qualify as getting uh, for getting funds from GSEF, you need to have a matching grant. I was just looking at uh, one that the Eco School program we did with the National Wildlife Federation, uh, we provided around a million dollars of GSEF funding, and they brought ten million dollars of matching funds, and that's you know exactly what we want to do with those big organizations and those great big projects. You leverage that your your money, and you bring in larger money to the benefit of the community. And this is also sort of beginning to think about the next process that the CAP undertook with the Attorney General's guidance and with the General Administrator installed, which was we, the CAP and the General Administrator together wrote the request for proposals, which is, do you want to explain what an RFP is? Or you want to explain what an RFP is? <clears throat> the, the, um, in, it, so we wanted different organizations to provide their ideas for projects, but, but we needed enough information so that we could actually evaluate and rank the projects. So we put together a request for proposals and laid out very clearly what they needed to, to tell us about the project. And we had one RFP for large projects and another one for, for smaller projects. And actually the smaller project context we did something in advance of actually having a full proposal again in the interest of facilitating smaller yeah. projects from less experienced <coughs> grant recipients we did a pre-proposal process whereby organizations would come and say listen this is generally our idea for a project and then the administrator would help them would 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 help those organizations try to develop those ideas into full-blown proposals because full pro, you know, full proposals have to have a sound budget. Um, you know, they have to have a work, right a work plan, schedule, a works plan. They have to have you know they have to have elements to be successful. And you know, 
while we wanted to be as inclusive as pro uh, possible, you know, we do have, the state has a fiduciary responsibility for this money, and the community expects for projects to actually be successful, and so you have to have a proposal at the end of the day that you think is going to be, is going to work on the ground. So what we try to do is, is solicit these ideas in a pre-proposal form from organizations and then work with them to sort of develop these into full proposals that would be competitive with other proposals. And that was the whole for the small grants, the pre-proposal process I think was a very, very good idea and I think it worked very well. And it was something that the CAP felt strongly about and it was something that the administrator um, brought to the table too. And I think it was, again, one of those sort of innovative innovations in this framework, in this model we created for GSAF that was you know, novel but very successful in this context. And, and that was done in addition to a series of workshops right. that NIFWIF held before the proposals were due so that people could come and ask questions and And bounce ideas it. around. Right. Like people yeah. really just grassroots ideas. I have an idea for a green roof. And I really wanted this, this uh, woman who uh, is a parent in the community had this dream of building a green roof. She was experienced as a, as a, a landscape designer and she really wanted to create a green roof somewhere on a large industrial landscape in Greenpoint. And she just came and showed up to one of these meetings and said, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and she had no organization and she had no, just an idea. And it was actually that wound up becoming the Kingsland Wildflower Rooftop, oh, cool. which is an amazing thing in our community. Huge success story. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And you know, the, all of this was superseded by <clears throat> a community meeting we had that talked about, that introduced the community generally to GSAF right. and what we hoped to do and how the process generally would work. And um, you know, it was, well, it was like 300 people showed up. It was like amazing, yeah, the level was, of interest of the community, right. the engagement yeah. of the community in this from the get-go was just you know, remarkable. Again, sort of raising the bar on all of us to make it successful, which is you know good pressure to have. But you know, when you have a public meeting and 300 people from a fairly small community, really, um, with very and, defined ideas about how this money <laughs> should <strong> be spent, <laughs> expectations, that's good. It shows like a healthy dynamic and something that sort of propels something like this forward. So we should skip forward, right? Because I feel like uh, we want to get more history. We're only in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we released the RFP. We handed out some small grants to some to a lot of small nonprofits in the community and a lot of grassroots projects. And then we ran this larger proposal for larger grants, and we did something novel there as well. Well, we did first. NIFWIF ranked, if I remember correctly, they they ranked all the proposals, and then we took the top. 10 and put them through a community preferencing. Was the top 10, top 15 through a community preferencing process? Well, what we did is there was, we had these proposals for you know, larger amounts of money, you know, $100,000 or $25,000 oh. to multi-million dollars. And then we, um, with the help of NIFWIF, established a independent technical Good. advisory group. They got oh, experts right. in right. the various sort of environmental benefits fields. And so independent of the state, they set up these experts, and the experts looked at these proposals. And again, proposals have to have certain elements to, have, um, to be successful. 
and you know, we asked these experts to evaluate these proposals, and they came back with us, and they sort of ranked the proposals. And you know, within that ranking, there was a clear sort of cutoff where there were projects that were had a had a greater chance of success than others. It so, was really, I mean, I just sorry, but it was a, it was more of a feasibility or a technical ranking than a than uh, you know whether or not this project could actually be done in the schedule and in the budget that, that they proposed. We needed these in, so these independent experts vetted them from solely from that perspective. What we wanted to do was end up with a group of projects that the state felt comfortable would be successful. We did, and take those to the community right. to decide which ones of those they wanted to fund. We didn't want to take projects to the community that weren't going to be successful. That just didn't make any sense. And so if you could, through this independent evaluation, identify, you know, through the technical terms, whether a project had a good chance of success, then you could take that group and to the community and say, listen, these are these are projects we all feel will be successful. Which of these would you like us to fund? Well, let's not gloss over that because you could, the, the estate could have said, these are the top 10 projects. And that's it. And that's it. And they could have handed out the money to those top 10 projects. But they didn't do that. No, because remember we had all of these meetings with the CAP, and CAP said it has to be chosen by the community. So therefore these projects were chosen by the community. The other thing is that also some of the projects that didn't make it, remember, we said that we're going to have another granting, uh, and so therefore they could. There's some of them that could be basically worked on and get a more, and and then apply for the next granting. Uh, so right. that's what. One of the benefits, one of the benefits have multiple rounds of, <coughs> of grant, grant. We've done through GCEF is that if projects fail in the first round. Um, you know, we made a commitment to assisting them to both discussing with them why they failed, why they didn't get funded, right. um, or why they weren't, weren't judged to be technically sound, and then we worked with them. We committed to having NIFWIF, the, the uh, administrator, work with them to help them to develop that project um, so it would be competitive in the next round. And I think that that's you know, another important um, that is. Innovation is also something that, again, in my mind, uh, provides advantages for those smaller ideas, those smaller organizations that, you know, they don't do this all the time. And if you can help them through a series of, of uh, rounds of assistance, you know, they can, and, and it, it happened in a number of instances where projects didn't make it the first time, you know, we provided some assistance to them and they made it the second one. But so, but before that, when we brought the first um, roster of projects back to the community, we, we you, Laura Trutner, designed a process that was that allowed the community to engage in choosing right. which the project. The CAP designed a the process. The CAP with you. But you brought the idea. You made a proposal, which I think was inspired by, by participatory the, yeah. budgeting, yeah. Mm -hmm. which was a fairly novel idea in New York City that had just been introduced by the, the city council to provide um, uh, opportunities to you know, people and communities to access funding for projects that they were passionate about. And so we formulated, you, we, the CAP, formulated this process of how to choose by giving people sort of an opportunity to view all of the projects that were the top rankers and, and then select the ones that they wanted to move forward. 
and they, there was a ballot process. It was, That's right. it was quite, a, quite a process where people would come by, come into an area, there'd be posters of all the projects, and they'd get to talk to the, the proposers, and they would get to read about the projects, and then they would go and they would get a ballot, and they would mark their you know, their preference of, you know, they pick five, the first four, five, and three, five. and then, you know, based on that, we could make a decision of which projects you get on. And it was, you know, really... Uh, the, the but I don't, one of the questions was whether or not people had to show ID to yeah, prove I they were from Greenpoint. Yeah. I mean, this got into, the, the process really, or, or developing the process went into a lot of detail to make, because the concern that you want, the, if, if people are casting ballots, they really need to be from Greenpoint. And so well, and is there an age limit? And because was there an previous, age limit? Previous program, people bust in, so right. we did. Right. Right. And so that was... And that, that was one of the concerns, yeah. So we decided that, you know, collectively, that there should be an age cutoff, and that the people should show ID, yeah. and that you should be a resident. You can't be somebody who works in Greenpoint. You have to be a resident. Yeah. So it, you know, there's a lot of sort of yeah. as, as Laura and was alluded to a lot of decisions that need to be made yeah. in a process like that. And we had Nifwif design all the posters and all the text so that everything looked the you know, same. Everything was presented in a the beautiful but and consistent fashion. So and I don't. Th I'm trying to remember. I don't think. I don't think the people who submitted the proposals were allowed to be That's there because right. we thought That's that would right. be that You're, would bias. You're right. We, we and wanted so, to ensure that there was no bias. Right. So we just had the posters there. They right. could not you know, lobby in front. Right. Although oh, there was. there was. Lobby lobby yes, there yeah. definitely <laughs> was. <laughs> Marnie's husband. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, but that's okay. That was something that we couldn't prevent, but. There was a lot of thought that went into this because, yeah. you know, you could have friends, you could have 50 or 30 friends come in and say that your project is going to go. And how do you prevent that? That was one of the right. things and that we were always talking of, about. Time of day when it was, a, it was, when right. it was open for viewing, how many days, All the location. So much thought. It's really the, the benefit of having, the, you know, all the, the people Right, at the table. At the table. I mean, in concept, the state could have, you know, done this by herself, and it right. would certainly have not been as good as what collectively we did, because, you know, the community had a lot of expectations and desires, but they also had a ton of experience with things that hadn't gone so well in, in the past. And so if you bring all those people together and you talk about what the perfect uh, process should or be as close to perfect as possible. Right. Well, we didn't achieve necessarily, perfect, but you try to achieve the perfect. Yeah. But you talk about like what we need to do, then, and you get the right voices. You know, collectively, you come to really good decisions, and right. that's what what happened. Does anyone remember how many, how much money we handed out in the first round? I meant to look it up. I don't. Anyway, we handed out a bunch of money. <laughs> I told you let's talk about the projects from the first round. You talk about your favorites. You talk about your favorites. No, I don't, I don't even know which was my favorite. Well, my favorite is the still one project, which is the library, and everybody yes. knows that because that is and something that... we're not just that, saying that because this is for the Brooklyn Public <laughs> I think at first, I think the first project that was completed was the mural. Mural. Oh, mural. That's that right. Cool. And yeah. it really sort of like, you know, it was actually a very nice way to sort of kick off the, the uh, 
program. So it's very tangible because it, it did have that sort of link between the the history of Greenpoint and the future of Greenpoint. Talk about the mural to say where it is. That's uh, I think it was Brownswell that did the mural and Christina was located on It's located on Greenpoint Avenue on one of the um, buildings uh, from Broadway Stages. It's and on his studio. No, school was, uh, Which mural are you talking? One that was funded by the GSEF, the Greenpoint. Yeah. I think it's on Greenpoint Avenue. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on Greenpoint Avenue. It's down by. Uh... It's near the treatment plant. Right. So which which are you talking about? <laughs> now we get this funny. We've oh forgotten. Can we exercise this part. <laughs> I don't know. I um, need to access the website. We look it up. So the school that's down by uh, McCarran Park, right next. In to one, in one, no one. That no. wasn't the first one. One twenty six was the first one. That was the one. It was the legacy. Uh, it was the past and the future of Greenpoint. Oh, we right. did an event there, and we uh, did. Yeah, the kids were out there, and it was you know again it was the history and the future of Greenpoint, and it you know sort of kicked this thing thought. off in the right way. Okay, Peter remembers he was there. <laughs> Another we example. were there too, but I totally thought it was the other one. <laughs> so I don't know. I, actually, so did I. That's interesting. There were some projects, or at least one, that didn't go so well. No. Would you that like Christi to discuss it? No, I'm, I, I shouldn't no. even bring it up. It's just that Christine predicted from the very beginning that it wasn't going to work, and it was the one project that, mm -hmm. as far, that I knew. Well, I mean, and that's sort of the, uh, that's the challenge in something like this. You do a uh, you know, technical evaluation that... Um, concludes that a project proposal has all its ducks in a row that should be successful, and then you know, the Something community happens. likes it, and you know we fund it, and there's always a chance that you know something breaks down and the project doesn't doesn't go through. And that's you know that's always the sort of challenge in in the reality of programs like this. You can do all the right things or try to do all the right things, but at the end of the day, the project's not successful. And I, you know. The uh, NIFWIP, the administrator, they're very familiar with that. They, they recognize that even even when the community is not involved in selecting a project, right. even when it happens, of course, it laterally, happens. you know, that, that it's the nature of this. You know, things mm -hmm. fail because organizations are living things, and you know, people move on, and and sometimes say, things you know, don't fall through, but. Right. The reality is if, you know, it, it's hard to deny somebody the right to have the project if, totally. if they are totally doing if the right thing, building. right? So that's, that's the, the toss. I just had a feeling, nothing else. I mean, and, uh, and it didn't go through, but uh, it had all of the pieces that it needed to have, and I thought it would be, you know, pretty good. So, so there is nothing you can do. I mean, this happens all the time. That's right. By the way, 424 Leonard Street, Middle School, 126. 126. Yeah, well, when he said that, I knew it was the 126, but I didn't think that that's where it was. Because that was, you know, the mural was about what you know, said was about. Yeah. I mean, she was, uh, was to, the money was all um, of uh, Coral Oil Spill, and what we hope to do with Jeep Seth is, you know, create a better environmental future for the community. And so, like, you know, 
that's what the mural was about. It was a great way, in my mind, to kick off the whole program. Okay, yeah. here's one, or it was a couple of grants, actually. That at the time, was a fledgling organization that was given to the North Brooklyn Boat Club, um, which was just getting its start at the time, and the GSEP gave them more than one, maybe two grants, I can't remember exactly. Exactly, because they had two. They had two grants that they received, and now, today, the North Brooklyn Boat Club is really one of the most uh, yeah. successful uh, homegrown uh, community groups. They do all kinds of amazing things in the community, and they, you know, got some of their initial funding for programming and boats and other things from the GSA. We, we, we wanted, and Christine referenced this earlier, that there was a desire to have, you know, a legacy as a result of <coughs> money, not have a sort of one-off projects that, you know, were there and disappeared. You wanted to have sort of a lasting impact of this money in the community. Um, and so, you know, one of the ways to do that is invest in projects that will have a long-term benefit for the community. I mean, the, the library, for example, is a perfect example of that. I mean, this community will benefit from that library for generations, and the kids in the community will benefit from that library for, for right. generations, and that's you know a great legacy of this money. Exactly. Um, but also, we have, we, we hope that you know, some of the organizations that have been the recipients of the money, we have, by virtue of giving them money, not only have they done nice projects, good valuable projects for the community, but the organizations themselves, by benefit of having the money, are stronger and more sustainable and will be in Greenpoint for you know the long term. And so if we can do both things, both you know, projects that will have a long-term benefit to the community, but also at the same time um, you know, create um, sustainable organizations that you know can continue to do good work. And that's that's that. Those are both sort of parallel um, legacies of this money, and something that we really would like to you know leave with this community when Jesus is. But is look at the uh, Kingsman Guayaflower, right? Uh, right now, she's going. She, they've gotten another grant, and they will do a lot more than that, right? They two or three different roofs at really? the same time from right. the governor's office or whatever. Right. So if she hadn't done this, this this would have never happened. Right. So that's that to me. It's that we have started this. Right. We've given them the uh, this organization an opportunity to build more and more because mm -hmm. as people came up there and saw what was going on, they wanted more. Right. That's the, that's what it is. You know, nobody realized what it is until you. You see it. The same thing is with um, uh, NAG when they were doing all of the soil samples. I mean, so many people realize really that you can really grow your vegetables in the backyard, and that really, if you are growing, you 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 are basically eating poison, a lot of lead and stuff at times, right? Unless you change the soil. I mean, all of these things. Look at. Um, Newton Creek Alliance, right? With an organization, okay, going, going forward. Right now, it's one of the biggest organizations environmental here. They have their own office. They have, a, you know, the executive director. That's a lot of this has to do with the grants that they receive. They had partner with all of these other groups 
and they've done a lot of stuff on the creek and everywhere else. Those things and the information that we've gotten from it, it will stay with us forever. And not to keep tooting around horn, but I think one of the things that the GSEP has done is focused also on um, creating partnerships with the. With that's exactly that's what I'm they, talking they put about. Effort into making sure that um, grantees spoke to each other and found opportunities for cooperation, right. and I think that's really blossomed into something. That's what um, yes, uh, that's tremendous for the community. Yeah, and it's still existing, and I think it's going to exist for many, many more years. And another sort of example of that different sort of example of that is the, uh, the educational programs that we have, have funded. Um, you know, I'll just use one example, which is the eco-schools program. Um, I'm a parent, and I know when my kids are really engaged in something and when they're not. Um, I can tell that. And you know, I've gone to some of the eco-school events, and you know, it's clear that these kids are loving what they're learning. Very excited about the subjects. They've done projects that are interesting, and the kids just are very excited, very proud of what they've done. You know, the school is very proud of their kids. I mean, it's, it's created this really, really. But there has been a curriculum developed, right. and that's being used by the district right now. A, Not only that, there are other people in Manhattan that are interested in this curriculum, other high schools, even a private high school that is thinking of it. And it's a curriculum that really kids and makes them excited and that's you know that's where the that's where the it's amazing when you go to a vet and you see these kids with their projects and they're excited and they're happy and you know if you can connect them with their environment if you can connect them with their environmental future you know you've really achieved something so it's another sort of example of you know a legacy of this project and then i think another thing that the the program has really spent time doing, in, and it was in partially response to the prior uh, <coughs> EBP that, that left sort of a bad taste in people's mouth, was it's, it's put a lot of effort into communicating to the community on an ongoing basis what the program's doing, where the money's being spent, you know, how the programs right. are progressing. So there's, um, you know, there's a website that's a very well-developed and, uh, you know, updated website that talks about what all the projects are, what the program's all about. It's a live website. We constantly update it. We continue to do outreach to the community with um, emails and social media to promote what all the different projects are doing and to publicize what they're doing on an ongoing basis. And that's not to, you know, that's not to, to uh, GSES horn. It's just to make sure that the community understands that this money has you know, been used well for the community. And to keep people that's engaged, really important, right? right. You yeah. want them to, to participate in the programs. You want them to participate with the organizations that are involved in that. You know, they can involve, volunteer. They can get involved in the events that the that the projects or the organizations involved in the projects are doing. But you know, all of that is is to is to make sure that the community is engaged in what you know the, this money has yeah, I mean, to bring I, to the community. I it's think, not about it's not about right. GSEF. It's about the community being. Engaged in their environment. That's, that's, so that's true. Push, pushing information out has always, I mean, even when we started the program, it was always a, a really important aspect of the project so that people knew, so that they had the information they needed to, to go to the preferencing event and look at the different po posters. So they knew um, 
there's an opportunity to develop projects right. that they can move. Right. Transparency so that they can, was always a And key. transparency, right. right. Because for, for so principle. long, these environmental <clears throat> problems were, you know, they were sort of swept under the rug and not dealt with. And, and this was an opportunity to really give back. Every CAP meeting was written up and put on the web page so yep. we know exactly what we were talking about with right. the community. Exactly who was, who was on the CAP, what groups were represented. Even though that in itself caused, a, you know, there was we, there were mumblings about representation, but it was all you could find out about everything about the project. You could even get my cell phone number. You, yeah. That's right. I think mine was on there for a while too. Um, and and I think there's been enough, but also to keep people engaged in terms of volunteering, because after all, these are small. A lot of the projects are yeah, we're funding um, small community groups, and so it's important to engage the community in in continuing to volunteer and step up. And the last several years, the 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 GSEF has put on an annual open house event to promote what the projects are doing and to get to 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 attract interest and to maintain interest in what. The programs are all about to get people involved. So that's another a, novel aspect. <laughs> it leads into um, you know, something we'd like to do uh, for our organizations um, at the end of this program, which is that we'd like to um, do what we can to support the sustainability of not only the projects that we have funded, but also the organizations that are implementing them. So you know, we're making plans. As we speak, to this is work, with, news. work with those community groups to um, you know, on sustaining their, you know, giving them sustainability training through a, a uh, workshop and a and a consultant, so that organizations can, can know how to sort of be uh, more sustainable organizations, how to um, identify priorities, how to fundraise, those kind of things, and, and we feel as though that's an obligation of GSEF you know, as we close up shop to <coughs> do what we can to sustain you know, the momentum that hopefully we've created in the community, you know, uh, past our presence here. That's an amazing ending to the report. I had no idea you, were, you guys were doing that. <laughs> so maybe not the juicy gossip about the GSF that you were listening, you were hoping for, <laughs> but I think we're all really proud of the program, right? And so I can't help it. The community is going to miss this program. Yeah. As somebody who ended up doing a lot of volunteering because of the different different organizations and the different projects, I think a lot of people have the same sort of feeling that they're brought into the community because of the opportunities that were provided by it. You know, that's sort of bittersweet because it's in some ways, yeah, it's you know, it's, a, it's it's a shame, but in another way, it's sort of like if if the program hadn't had an impact, then nobody'd miss it. So, uh, you know, it is it is sort of bittersweet in the fact that we made an effort, hopefully, and and people noticed. And that's you know, that's good. That's what we hope for. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing the GSEF story with Brooklyn Public Library. Thank you. <laughs>